0: Okay, so last week I introduced you to my buddy Darren Tessier and we've flipped the script a little bit on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast because he's asking me questions instead of me asking guest questions specifically about my brand new book, Nonfiction Brand, Discover, Crafting, Communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are. And we left off discussing how I've got this love affair going on with Brene Brown and she doesn't even know it. But that's okay because I've been happily married for close to 25 years. But I will say that she is just a fantastic example of the type of nonfiction personal brand that I write about in the book. In fact, I have written about her in the book, but here's where I turn it over to Darren and let him ask whatever question he wants to ask. So take it away, Darren.
1: So Brene Brown's a great point of departure in that regard to, to talk about what I want to ask you about next. There's a concept, a term that you that you write about in the book. It's called selective authenticity, you know, and that really resonated for me. And I want you to maybe talk a little bit about what does that mean? Can you dig in a little bit deeper into that concept?
0: Yeah, it's something that, you know, I'm old enough to understand that not everybody wants to know how I'm feeling today or what I ate today, or that my significant other treated me poorly, or, you know, I'm old enough to not care about a whole lot of things. And what I see on social media is a whole lot of stuff that I don't care about. And I feel uncomfortable even reading or engaging with. That led me to think of a concept that I call selective authenticity. Others have called strategic authenticity. And it's all about understanding that social media has given us all this incredible set of power tools, right? It gives us instant access to the entire world that is online and typically for free, because again, just about every social media platform or channel there is has free levels that give you 90% of what's available for zero dollars. So, And by, by the way, I'm a, kind of a cheap ass rat bastard myself, so... I keep it on the download zero dollar level for everything. Cause again, I have two daughters in college and another on the way. But anyway, the whole selective authenticity idea is that there are things about me. You don't want to know and would actually perhaps force you not to engage with me for stupid reasons. Like, and I'm not getting into politics or religion or any of that stuff. Why? Because my selective authenticity strategy says those are no fly zone for me personally. Now, I know somebody who puts religion at the very heart of their business to the point that the name of the deity or the, uh, yeah, the prophet they follow is in their business name. Great. That's fantastic for you. But keep in mind, that's going to drive away, I don't know how large a segment of the audience away from you simply because it's like, uh, that's a little too much for me.
1: Well, I think there's some, there's some honesty though when it comes to the personal brand, right? If, if their personal brand is wrapped up in that, you know, and the practice of marketing is defining an audience and you exclude other things.
0: It's really defining who you are, what you do, and how you do it. And if who you are is someone who studies the creed of your religion every single day, and that's absolutely core to who you are and the services you provide, by all means, share that. But understand that you are selecting to share that. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying, understand that you are making an active choice to select that. And by doing so, some people are going to deselect or unselect you because of it. Not saying it's good or bad. Just understand you're making that choice. And that's the point. You make the choice on what you share. For example, the dedication page in my book lists the first initial of my children's names, but not my full children's names. Now, Darren knows who those children are, but none of you all who haven't done the research do know what those names are because I've chosen selectively not to share that. I have my own reasons why. It's not because I'm ashamed of them at all. It's because I'm protecting them from making me look good. And that's a selective choice. Other people take their brand new baby and make them a core part of their brand from the second that that kid is born. And I guarantee you when that kid is 13 or not 13, probably more like 15, they're going to hate you for the next 10 years and all the legacy crap that you put up on social media about them because they were not consulted.
1: When we're talking about personal branding, when you're talking about personal branding, and I, I expect everybody understands this, but maybe it bears saying out loud, you're talking about your professional brand. You know, you are personally branding yourself as a professional. As that professional, you may decide that you have no walls between your personal and professional.
0: Brand. Exactly. I
1: think it's, you know, for a lot of people, that's that's a bridge too far. And, and you do want to have those kind of barriers, at least in terms of that public persona, that public brand. And when you partner with someone... Then you can start to break down those walls if you feel it appropriate.
0: If you feel it appropriate, which is the key thing, because I can point to personal brands that everybody knows, like, you know, Ellen DeGeneres. We all know who she's married to, right? Same thing with Oprah. We know that Stedman's in the picture somewhere, but are they married? I don't know. She doesn't go into great detail about it, but, you know, we know she's got a man in her life named Stedman, right? The fact we don't know more is interesting. Why is that? She shares a whole ton of stuff, but she keeps some stuff as her own. And that's what selective authenticity is about. It's not about sharing too much information. And that's where I see a lot of young people who are really, really active on, I don't know, things like Instagram or TikTok. They're making the mistake that's going to bite them in the butt in about five years. And we've already seen it where someone posts something that maybe uses uh, an epithet in a playful way that all of a sudden three years later isn't perceived as being in a playful way and all of a sudden they're quote canceled why are they canceled because you gave them the ammunition to cancel you and i'm not saying and this is the key thing it's not about self-censorship it's about self-understanding self-awareness and self-selectiveness It's pretty apparent where I stand on things politically. But were I to become a strident, on-my-sleeve-wearing member of my political tribe, I would drive people who are not that far away from me away simply because they perceive me to be on the far side of that tribe when I'm actually not. And here's the thing. In the United States of America right now, It's funny, we're recording this on the night of the insurrection on Capitol Hill, which, you know, is killing me because I want to be watching TV for this, but you can see it in action, which is if you took anybody who was protesting or rioting at the Capitol and sat them across the table with me for a coffee conversation, I guarantee you we would agree on 80% of everything and maybe more like 90%. If you selectively decide that I'm gonna focus on the 10% you aren't gonna agree with, we're gonna have some problems. But if you can present yourself as a professional and as a person that focuses on the 80% we share, there aren't gonna be any obstacles to us at least finding out, okay, okay, you're, you're a cool, decent person, tell me more. Now down the road, when you get more information, you might go, yeah, that's not so much for me, but that's okay but at least I'm not throwing out the roadblocks way ahead of time. So for me, selective authenticity is about focusing on that, which is completely true to who you are, what you do and how you do it. But in a way that doesn't instantly drive people away, there's more to it than that. And you know, it's, it's, it could be a whole book on its own, but am I making sense?
1: You know, last time I, I mentioned, I, I used the term, you know, knowing how the sausage is made. And You can maybe apply that to this idea of selective authenticity. A sausage brand is going to tell you all great, all sorts of great things about its product and how you can cook it, but it's not going to tell you how the sausage is made. It's that similarly objectionable or potentially objectionable content that just doesn't need to be out there in the public sphere.
0: We all come across stuff where you're absolutely 100% happy with a product until you find out just how much it sells at wholesale. I bought it at retail, but they got it for a third of what I paid for it. Now I'm all of a sudden unhappy. That's too much information, right? Now you're getting into value.
1: So that's a whole different part of the
0: conversation. Well, and that's a huge part of it because again, value plays into your personal brand like 5 billion percent. I like to say that the nonfiction brand formula is your value plus your values Equal Your personal brand. And what I mean by that is my value is that based on my career, this is not me blowing my horn or anything, but people have been pretty kind to me about how I write and the ideas I create and the fact that I'm a good creative collaborator with people. Okay, that's my value to people. My values are that I am tremendously embarrassed if not like oftentimes when I present new work, I'll end the conversation with, can I just ask you, are you satisfied with what we saw today or what I presented to you today? And that's because if they said, you know what, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, this is fine. This is fine. Would never be good enough for me because my values dictate that. No, I want you to be delighted. I want you to be like, Oh my God, we never could have done this without you. That's when my values inform my value, which, you know, that combination is my personal brand, my nonfiction personal brand. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Now available on Amazon.com. Too many people for too many years have labored in obscurity. Why? Because that's the way it's always been. Work for someone else and remain nameless, letting others take credit for your hard work. But in today's hyper-connected everything is media world, that's all changed. In 1993, In 1987, Tom Peters outlined the tenets of a new concept, personal branding. Fact is, if you're not actively branding yourself based on who you are, what you do and how you do it, you are leaving opportunity on the table. But with this book and a little bit of work, that opportunity is 100% yours to own starting today. Christopher Wilshire, CEO of Egg Strategy said, this is the kind of book that changes how you view the rest of your career and how you go about amplifying your value to the wider world. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search nonfiction brand and let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Another
1: concept you talk about in the book is something that I experienced in a very personal way early on in my career. And I expect a lot of marketers have had something similar. I had just left the agency where we started out together. I was still pretty young in my career. I was at a new company. I was learning the ropes. I was having a difficult adjustment. Circumstances were kind of conspiring against the economy at that time. And I remember I went out for drinks with a close confidant and, and I told him, I'm like, "Ah, I just, you know, sometimes I just feel like an imposter at my my job and the things that I do. And as I was reading your book, I, you know, and I've talked to other professionals and they've expressed similar feelings. And you talk about that in your book. Maybe you want to dig into that a little bit and explain what you mean by this idea of the imposter syndrome and why it's not necessarily a bad thing.
0: Yeah, great question, because everyone's talking about the imposter syndrome concept, which did not I did not generate. It's been floating in the ether for the I don't know, the past five, even 10 years to a certain degree. But that idea that you think that everybody who does what you do knows more than you does it better than you has more experience, that there's some secret sauce out there. And I absolutely believe that as a a young advertising professional, I started my career at a small ad agency in Denver, Colorado, and I got in there by, I don't even know how I got in, to be honest. I got you in, I'm sure. Well, I, (laughs) I, I looked my way into this position, and because I had never taken a marketing class in my life, I'd never taken a business class in my life, I was an actor. I took theater classes. I took mime for a couple of weeks for crying out loud. I was an improv comedian. So the idea that I knew anything about marketing was a joke to me, except I was a latchkey kid, which meant that every day after school, first thing I did was turn on TV and I watched everything that was on TV. That to me was the best marketing school I ever had because one, I watched Bewitched with Darren Stevens who worked at an advertising agency. And I'm like, what's an advertising agency? That looks kind of cool. Huh? The Dick Van Dyke show where he were, he was a comedy writer. I'm like comedy writer. What's that about? All these things. Plus all the great vintage commercials that I saw growing up in the late sixties through the seventies, eighties, nineties and beyond the golden age of crappy TV commercials. But still, I went to school on those things and I didn't even know it. But the whole thing is when I got that first copywriting job, I'm like, I know nothing about this. I have no diploma in this. I have no certification in this. I think I can do it. And I guess they think it enough too. So I should be doing it. So the whole time, my first, I don't know, five years easy In advertising, I thought I was an imposter, which made me work harder. And I developed a concept that I write about in the book where I literally would tell myself, if you don't think you're a hack at what you do, you are one. And what that meant was the second that I think, yeah, this is fantastic, it's perfect, that's when I should be scared because that's when I'm drinking my own Kool-Aid and I'm probably failing miserably. So A healthy sense of fear and self-loathing I think is necessary, to be honest, especially for an advertising creative or anybody who works in the creative field because I think it's great, but do you because what I think doesn't matter. You know, like an ad, if I create an ad that doesn't sell product, it doesn't matter how great I think it is. It failed. Well, here's the thing. Everybody feels that about their jobs with the exception of the few narcissists in the world who think that the universe revolves around them so to me the imposter syndrome is a gift and that gift is the thing that keeps you honest and working harder now on the other side of that is what i call expertise laryngitis okay you got imposter syndrome which can be overcome you can work your way through it but a lot of people suffer from expertise laryngitis meaning they don't talk About the expertise that they have that nobody else does like i'm looking at darren tessier who is the vp and director of marketing at state bank of cross plains here in wisconsin and you know you've been in the financial services banking field for a number of years and i guarantee you well i'm going to guess the first couple you're like "Mm, i feel like an imposter and then the next ones are like no i've think I have, I'm getting it. And then you get to the point where, yeah, I, I have a pretty good feel on this stuff, but you might have expertise laryngitis, which means you are not seeking out opportunities to demonstrate your expertise and share, more importantly, share that expertise. Because here's the thing about social media. Social media is about sharing who you are, what you do and how you do it in a way that can benefit others. And I went to a presentation at Social Media Marketing World where I think it was Chris Ducker, fabulous Brit. You know, he's got this great accent and all that stuff. And he's up there and he throws up a slide on his presentation and it says, don't judge your first step on my 500. Meaning I have done the hard work to get where I am. Just because you take one step in the direction I am does not mean you should judge yourself based on where I took the time to get to. The fact that you are taking that first step, that you are sharing of yourself and your expertise is gonna help you build your personal brand in the marketplace. And guess what? Darren, you may never, ever leave State Bank of Cross Plains. I hope you end your career there. But if you start sharing what you know about marketing, banking, and financial services in the marketplace, even a little bit, By boosting your personal brand, you're going to boost your organization's personal brand right alongside it. It's the rising tide that floats all boats, right? If you are a better member of the team at State Bank of Cross Plains, that's going to make State Bank of Cross Plains even more valuable. And here's the thing that personal branding can really do for you. It can help you avoid a dread period of your career called the X years. What do I mean by this? Oh, let me share pain with you. The X years are when you're experienced, you've demonstrated excellence at what you do, thereby proving your expertise, and that typically means you're expensive and therefore expendable. These are the X years. All of a sudden, you reach the level where you're the highest salary on the spreadsheet. So in the advertising industry, if a big client goes away, typically, so do some of the team that worked on that client. Well, the best thing they can do is get rid of the highest paid person on that spreadsheet. And that happened to me at least twice in my career where all of a sudden, yeah, we no longer need your services because you are expendable. Personal branding is about making yourself not expendable, but attractive so that you get calls from people you've worked with in the past out of the blue who say we want you because we heard you're now available or we want you because you've demonstrated excellence in what we need for what you're doing and stuff like that i worked anonymously behind the wall at agencies where i was the creative engine working with other people churning out the stuff that the clients love And I thought, well, they can't get rid of me because I'm the creative engine. Guess what? Engines can be unbolted from any chassis at any time and replaced by what is perceived to be a younger, faster, cheaper version. If you are a personal brand, like for instance, we talked about Brene Brown in last week's episode. Can the University of Houston replace Brene Brown? No, they can not. If she decides to leave and go to an Ivy League school, the University of Houston will be like, oh my God, we just lost the, the, the big attractor to our entire program that was related to the research she did. That's what a personal brand can be. Now, if she stays at University of Houston, all of a sudden that number 185th on the list of top universities, they might be jumping up to 150 or 125 because all of a sudden they have this attractor you know, it's it's no uh, mistake that academic institutions love it when their people get Nobel prizes. Princeton and Yale and Harvard fight over the who has more Nobel prizes. Why? Because that translates into tuition and student interest and international attractiveness. I'm saying you have the chance to create your own version within your sphere of business influence, your own Nobel Prize, your own Brene Brownness by getting out there and sharing who you are, what you know, and how you know it via demonstration. And when you do, you're more valuable to the company you already work for. And that's when things like uh, the X years disappear because no, you're core to who we are and what we do as an organization.
1: So you didn't just set out to write a book about nonfiction, brand, You made this an experience. You made this an open and a shared experience. Maybe talk a little bit about your thinking behind that approach, how it relates to the concept of nonfiction brand. And what was it like?
0: You're kind of referring to the fact that I beta tested the book by doing 120 episodes of the nonfiction brand podcast, right? I mean, literally I've been, I have been demonstrating who I am what I do and how I do it in every single episode of this podcast because, and again, sorry, I'm gonna take a lot of the stuff out of the book and refer it into my answer here, because I've discovered the style stage or one of the style stages that is best for my personal voice. I think I've dropped enough hints during the individual episodes of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast that my background is in theater. I got a bachelor's degree in theater, I was an improv comedian. I've done on-camera work, voiceover work. All that stuff helped get me ready to become a writer of scripts of such things, right? And so I've been demonstrating all those skills via podcast because that is a great style stage for me. And in the book, I talk about the fact that as a writer, I'm more of a performer. And truth be told, I hate writing. You know, there was an old quote that's been attributed to Dorothy Parker that I hate writing, but I love having written. That's kind of me. I hate writing, but I love having written a book or two or something like that. And the podcast allowed me to take a lot of these kind of par-baked or partially formed ideas and talk to people who are better and smarter than me in their given areas And sharpen those ideas to the point where i'm like okay this book that i've had in my head for i don't know 15 years i now have those ideas to a sharpness completeness that i feel comfortable with turning it into a book and one of the things that i find so interesting about the book is that i was able to take actual transcripts from the podcast episodes with certain individuals and bring them into the book so that they can tell their stories, demonstrate who they are, what they do, and how they do it in a way that helps other people learn. Because one of the things I learned a long, long time ago is that the best way for people to actually learn something is not to tell them, not to teach them, not to make them go through a worksheet, but to tell them a story. You know, a lot of people talk about the value of storytelling, But what they're really saying is that humans understand and transmit information most readily via stories. And if you think about it, if you're a news writer for a nightly news show, they always talk about what they're creating as stories. Like I'm writing a story about this thing or that thing. Why? Because the story is what transmits that information. So that's a that's a huge part of it. And the nonfiction brand book came out of the nonfiction brand podcast, which came out of a conversation that I write about in the book at the very beginning about how I'm a nonfiction writer. It's all related. And literally, this is a this has been in the crock pot cooking for 15 years. And I think it works. I think it's tasty.
1: There's a quote that comes to mind: "Writer, know thyself, reflect, and resonate with what you're talking about." And having read the book, I can I can speak to the fact that it really does resonate as a marketer, as someone who tries to to approach personal branding as well in the workplace and in the professional environment. Uh, it certainly uh, taught me some lessons that I maybe wasn't expecting. And having known you for a lot of years, I thought I thought I was probably going to be just rehashing some stuff that was already known to me. But there was a lot of new stuff in there. Very insightful, very inspirational, and a lot of fun to read. It was some great stuff. So,
0: Well, that's that's very kind of you to say, Darren. I I truly do appreciate it. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping me out with these two episodes, last week's episode and this one, where you took the interview chair over and asked me questions about the book, because I'm very proud of the book. I want people who might be interested in discovering how to build their personal brand. I want them to find out about it. But to be honest, my style, my I'm having trouble getting out there as hard as I should be in marketing the book. I have no problem talking about the content of the book, but getting out there and saying, hi, guys, I wrote a new book. I hope you'll pick it up. It's available on Amazon.com that it doesn't necessarily feel comfortable to me, so Having you ask some questions is tremendously valuable to me, and I really, really do thank you for that. And by the way, I should say to the audience that I'm talking to Darren Tessier, who's the Vice President and Director of Marketing for State Bank of Cross Plains here in Wisconsin, a longtime friend of mine, family friend, camping friend, whiskey friend, you name it. And he's been very, very generous with his time tonight, helping me with this. I really want to thank you. Darren, how can people connect with you if they would be interested in talking to someone who really is into the marketing of financial services and banking specifically? I mean, I think you have a a lot to offer there, but I will bust you on this. I think you got a little expertise laryngitis going on, and I think (laughs) I need to encourage people to talk to you about that, to get you over that hump and start sharing what you've learned over your career. How can they get in touch with you?
1: Best way to reach me would be on LinkedIn. My address is Darren Tessier. That's D-A-R-I-N-T-E-S-S-I-E-R on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, definitely check it out, especially if you're in the financial services or banking field. You know, Darren's absolutely a giver, a really fantastic get to know guy. So definitely do that. Again, this is the end of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast for today. I would encourage you to like, subscribe, refer to others, but most of all, can you review this podcast wherever you find it because that helps other people find it. I thank you in advance for that. For today, I'm DP knutin for the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, and he is Aaron Tessier. And I'll be talking at you again next week. Bye bye.